Hey everybody, Magnus here. The Winter Soldier, that is to say, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, the movie, came out several weeks ago, but I really only had a chance to see it with my girlfriend today, which is Sunday, May the 18th, 2014. Saw it earlier today. It was part of my girlfriend and me celebrating our our anniversary, right? And one of the things that hit the news right about the same time that the movie was released is that Chris Evans is pretty much done with acting. And basically, there's only really one mo movie in his entire resume that he's really happy with. One or two, but the one he seems happiest with is the movie Sunshine. And I thus infer that he's really not very happy with anything else on his resume, and I thus further infer that the everything else on his resume that he's not happy with kind of, sort of, by definition includes Captain America and really all things related to Marvel. And I even talked about this in some episode I did ages ago. I think it might have been my Strangers in Paradise episode, the miniseries. That might have been it, or it might have been my Shoot the Shit episode with J. David Weeder. I forget which one, but some episode I did around that time started off with me well, I'm pretty much wondering, you know, whether or not, I guess, number one, Chris Evans was even going to be able to make the transition from actor to director. And honestly, I think the jury's still kind of out on, on that, at least at the time that I record all of this. But the other thing, I, and th this, I guess, is B, I also kind of wondered that this could really affect how some people enjoy The Winter Soldier. And I kind of have to include myself in the number of people that honestly I mean dude was that really necessary did you really have to say all of that stuff you know it has affected it or it did affect my enjoyment of the winter soldier right because the entire time there were several scenes that I was just sitting there thinking to myself you know what Chris Evans must have been absolutely freaking miserable shooting this scene you know and maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but it was in the back of my head in several scenes. And understand, this isn't me basically trying to look for ways to pick the movie apart and, you know, look for flaws where maybe there isn't there isn't one, you know, or, or, or anything like that. It's just the acknowledgement that, I'm sorry, words have consequences. And now I'm wondering at least, you know, whether or not he was miserable whenever he was shooting a particular scene, or whether his heart was really in it, or anything like that, whenever he was, you know, shooting parts of The Winter Soldier. These were issues that were not on my mind when I watched Captain America The First Avenger, or when I watched The Avengers, or anything else, right? Totally not, not on my radar. But it was on my radar whenever I was watching entire parts of The Winter Soldier. And understand, I mean, of all of the franchises that Marvel has going, my favorite is Captain America. I 
like Captain America, and I like Chris Evans in the role. But I gotta tell you, this really has kind of been a bummer for me. You know, this whole, he doesn't like any of the movies he's done except for just a few, and he's gonna fucking quit acting, because he, honestly, I mean, it's just, it, it, it just strikes me as, as a real brat thing to say, you know? Just a real pampered, spoiled little fucking brat thing to say. And, you know, cursing his good fortune when, honestly, there are actors in Hollywood who would probably give one of their paired reproductive organs to have the career that he's had, and here he is shitting all over it. And I'm sorry, that has affected the way that I've enjoyed him as Captain America. And there's really no point to all of this. It's just it feels like I need to have an outlet. And so I record this stuff way ahead of time. And so I realize this isn't exactly breaking news for a lot of you. A lot of you maybe even feel the same way as I do. You may agree with me on this, and that's great. But I haven't come right out and said so before now because I haven't really had the time or the forum for it. And now I do. I'm using this one. And I just wish... I just wish he'd kept his mouth shut. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own angled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus. Magnus is who I am, and awesome is what I do. This show's all about comics, movies, and TV shows. And I mean, let's face it, this is the best geek-oriented podcast to be found anywhere on the internet. Anyway, it's a very special day. You see... This marks the beginning of a brand new miniseries. In fact, it's probably the most ambitious miniseries I've ever attempted. The short version is that I'll be spending shitloads upon shitloads of time going through all different kinds of Superman comics. And not just comics either. The way that it is right now, I've got at least one trade on the docket. But Magnus, but Magnus, why are you making such a big deal out of Superman right now? Good question. As many of you know, 2014 is an incredibly important year because it marks Superman's 76th anniversary. The only appropriate way I could think of to mark this momentous occasion would be to spend several weeks in observance of this milestone. I mean, 76 years. People, this is a big deal. There's no better way I could spend my time in 2014 than celebrating Superman's 76th anniversary. But anyway, so that's that stuff. Now, as I've said before, I've had a soft spot for Superboy for a lot of years. Basically, what it all goes back to is this one night when I was a wee old laddie, my parents rented the Filmation Superboy cartoon compilation. Honestly, this was a real punch in the balls for me. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been a Superman fan my whole life. But I was six years old. And most six-year-olds don't really think too much about mythos. I hadn't really given much thought to Clark Kent's teenage years. But those Superboy cartoons really fired up my child imagination. I mean, you got Smallville, Crypto, Lana Lang, Jonathan and Martha Kent, the whole thing. The town of Smallville was a virtual magnet for every thug, criminal, supervillain, alien, and every other lowlife under the sun out trying to make a name for himself. But Superboy kicked the shit out of every last one of them. Not very long after this, the live-action Superboy TV show premiered on whichever station felt like picking it up. Check your local listings. And that only heightened my interest in Superboy. I always felt like there's a, a gold mine of dramatic potential inherent to Superboy. When I started collecting comics, I even picked up some Superboy comics. The, f the first three were Superboy number 141, 162, and 168. Now, in retrospect, I'm not sure if those are the best issues to start your Superboy collection with, but damn it, those are what I could find, so I wasn't going to complain. Anyway, my point here is that my interest in Superboy is something that's just kind of stayed with me over the years. Hell, I'd go so far as to guess that's one reason why I'm such a huge fan of Smallville, the TV show. I mean, to me, Superboy is what makes Superman special. Superboy is what takes the character of Superman to the next level. I mean, by himself, Superman is a legend. And that's nothing to sneeze at either, but Superboy takes Superman and makes him pure, straight-up myth. Fate and destiny and all that other shit are intertwined with Superman's life if Superboy's part of his background. I mean, you got growing up in Smallville with Lana, Pete, and Lex, and Perry and Lois make occasional visits and guest appearances. And shit like that, basically, is what turns what really could have been boring stories of Superboy patrolling a completely uneventful and sleepy small town. It makes it cool. Like I said, the town of Smallville almost seems to attract all kinds of weirdos and rejects for Superboy to smack around. Anyway, I could probably sit here all day long gushing about how awesome Superboy is, how Warner Brothers is sitting on a gold mine with a young Superboy type of movie and all that other shit, but I'll spare you. To business. Obviously, today's comic is about Superboy. Well, I, I say it's obvious. Uh, if it's not obvious to you yet, please promise me that you'll never drive a car or have children or operate heavy farm machinery or vote. Anyway, the comic is Superboy, Volume 1, Number 150. And according to Mike's Amazing World of DC, which you can find at dcindexes.com, the cover date is September 1968. The approximate on-sale date is July the 2nd, 1968. Cover price is 12 cents. Page count is 32. Cover artist is Neil Adams. Writer is Frank Robbins. Penciler is Bob Brown. Inker is Jack Abel. Editor is Murray Boltonoff. And the title of this bad boy is The Stranger Who Stalks uh, Smallville. It was a dark and stormy night in Smallville. 
A stranger clad in a purple coat and bowler hat winds his way through the streets of Smallville in the pouring rain and finally reaches his destination, the home of Jonathan and Martha Kent. He introduces himself as their Uncle Cypher and says he's come to stay. So, basically picture a very beefy-looking Judge Doom in purple, and that's pretty much Uncle Cypher. Meanwhile, Superboy is checking out the town's dam. From the flashing lightning, he can see that there's a break in the dam, and if it gets any bigger, the dam will collapse and wipe Smallville off the map. He makes temporary repairs to the dam using an incredibly tough parachute he finds nearby. As all that's going on, Uncle Cypher's forced his way into the Kent home. Jonathan tries to fight him and force him out of the house, but Uncle Cypher fucks Jonathan's hand up. Right about then, Clark storms in and tries to put a stop to it, but suddenly and out of nowhere says he can't smack Uncle Cypher. It'd be fair to say that Jonathan and Martha Kent are confused as all fuck about that because Clark doesn't usually back down from anything. So what the hell's the deal here? Answers aren't forthcoming, though. Uncle Cypher picks out a room, announces that's where he's going to hang out for a while and watch Cutthroat Kitchen, so everybody should leave him alone because he'll fuck everybody's day up real bad if, he me- if anybody messes with his show. That leaves Clark to nurse Jonathan's hand, Jonathan to worry about how he ever could have raised such a panty-waist son, and Martha to pray like hell Jonathan doesn't see her downing the cooking sherry like it's fucking Kool-Aid and stuff. Clark raises his x-ray vision to spy on Uncle Cypher, and Clark notices Uncle Cypher's windows open. But rather than exposing himself to the neighbor's wife like Clark usually does, Uncle Cypher's sending out a digital code. <clears throat> and I do mean a digital code. It's nothing but numbers. Which, as you can probably guess, all of which correspond to the alphabet. Thinking about the neighbor's wife gives Clark that special feeling, so he tries to excuse himself to the basement so as he can take matters into his own hands. Uncle Cypher stops him, asks him what the fuck he thinks he's doing, and so Clark says he has chemistry homework to do since it's work and he's at home. After Clark finishes up his business and cleans the basement with some paper towels, he tries to decode the message he saw Uncle Cypher send out. Clark has shit in his basement that the Pentagon would love to have, but for some reason his advanced technology can't decrypt a simple fucking message like Cypher's. As he tries and fails, Clark helpfully remembers Jonathan's fight with Uncle Cypher from his own point of view. He noticed Uncle Cypher's skin is made from the same shit as that parachute he used to patch the dam together, so he x-rayed Uncle Cypher. Not because it was really necessary, you understand, but because Clark x-rays everybody the first time he meets them. But when Clark x-rayed Uncle Cypher, he saw a great big giant fucking bomb in his chest that would blow Smallville back to the Stone Age if it were to go off. Clark wonders what possible connection there could be between Uncle Cypher, a parachute made out of the exact same shit as Uncle Cypher's skin, and a giant fucking hole in Smallville's dam. Why? You'd almost think that Uncle Cypher fell out of the sky, crash-landed on the dam, caused all that damage, and then left his chute behind. But that's crazy talk. It's right about then that Clark's advanced computers finally crack the incredibly elaborate code that Uncle Cypher's been using. One is A, two is B, and so on. When Clark realizes Uncle Cypher's been given the green light to move on to stage two, whatever the fuck that is, he switches to his Superboy outfit and flies around for a while. 
He eventually finds some equipment he needs at a construction site and builds protection for the basement to contain a huge detonation. Then he invites Uncle Cypher downstairs so they can wrestle and play grab-ass with each other. During the fight, Uncle Cypher lifts Superboy above his head, at which time he, Uncle Cypher, collapses in a beam of kryptonite, emanates from Uncle Cypher's dome, and zaps Superboy right between the eyes. Cypher comes back to life and announces that his overlord, rather conveniently, wants Superboy alive. <clears throat> because keeping Superboy alive is a lot easier and less threatening than poisoning him to death with kryptonite and being done with the situation right then and there. Figuring nothing at all can possibly go wrong if Superboy's left unattended in the basement, Uncle Cypher goes back upstairs, probably to expose himself to the neighbor's wife. I mean, hey, Clark's obviously out of commission, so somebody has to do it, right? Unfortunately for everybody, Lana's chosen that moment to pay the Kents a visit as she was supposed to come over for dinner that night anyway. It eventually comes out that she has an Uncle Cypher at her house, too. Turns out they're everywhere in fucking Smallville tonight. Meanwhile, Superboy's come to his senses, left a Superboy robot in his place downstairs as a decoy in case Uncle Cypher needs to use the basement after he exposes himself to the neighbor's wife, and then zips back upstairs, changes to Clark Kent, and comes back downstairs to meet Lana. Lana decides she's not so hungry after all, so Clark walks her back home. After that, Superboy returns to the skies. He reasons that Uncle Cypher fell over during their fight in the basement because Superboy's invulnerable body blocked Uncle Cypher's connection to whatever the fuck his transmission source is. So, Superboy backtracks the transmission beam back to its point of origin and discovers an alien piloting a fairly nondescript-looking flying saucer with a very tiny cockpit. I mean, no shit, this thing is barely large enough to contain the alien. It's so small, the pilot can't even fucking lie down. And there's no obvious place for a shitter or anywhere in there, which makes you wonder how unpleasant the trip to Earth must have been with hundreds of Uncle Cyphers on board. The alien says if Superboy touches his ship, Smallville goes bye-bye. He then orders all the Uncle Cyphers to launch into Phase 3. Phase 3 apparently calls for attacking Lana Lang en masse because she's surrounded by Uncle Cyphers because she ran away from home because girls are always unstable and can't even follow simple fucking directions like stay inside or we'll blast your town off the goddamn map, so she ran for it. Superboy swoops to her rescue, makes a giant fucking satellite dish out of a frozen lake, flies that into, into orbit, and then uses it to disrupt the communication beam from the flying saucer to all the Uncle Cyphers in Smallville. The reflection not only disables all the Uncle Cyphers, but also destroys the flying saucer, sending it plummeting back into Earth's atmosphere where the pilot dies a nasty, horrible, fiery death. Later, Superboy's flying around with Lana, and he says everything's back to normal in Smallville. Lana sighs wistfully and tells Superboy she wishes Clark could be more like him. Superboy tells her that we can't all be irresponsible dipshits who can't follow simple fucking instructions and risk the entire town getting blown up. Then he strangles her with his cape, drops her body into the ocean, and everybody lives happily ever after now that Lana can never endanger their lives again. The end. Now, I poke fun at this story because I really do love it. In fact, this is what I love the most about Superboy. I mean, you can do stories like this where alien cyborgs invade Smallville at random, and it's totally believable because Smallville's a pretty tiny place and it doesn't have very many square miles to cover. The dialogue here is... It's mostly not too 60s-rific. I mean, sometimes you read these Bronze Age stories and they come off... 
so dated because of all the slang and shit the characters use. Now, I don't mind a story being of its time, but it works better for me when it uses more traditional and timeless dialogue. Think of this as a preference. Nothing more, nothing less. To me, though, it's really all about Bob Brown's art. He's the big winner here. Uncle Cypher looks creepy as all fuck, and he's just a great villain for this book, even though he's not really the villain of the piece. But really, the entire book has this dark and sort of spooky atmosphere to it with all the haze and rain and clouds and lightning and shit. I wouldn't want this for every single Superman story that comes down the pipeline, but it works here because it's a little bit against the norm, and plus it, it kind of plays like a little bit of a locked box mystery. Of course, a great big part of all this is due to the colorist. Now, I have no fucking idea who the colorist is, and apparently neither does Mike's Amazing World of DC, which you can find at dcindexes.com. But whoever the hell covered colored this thing really went far out of his way to bring across the darkness and atmosphere of the story. I mean, literally, right from page one, the colorist knew to give two-tone colors to figures against monochromatic backdrops with clouds dumping rain all over the damn place and a full moon in the sky. It's just fucking cool. It's... It's hard to complain about any of the art here. Bob Brown definitely brought home the bacon with with his pencil work, but fuck me. The, the, the colorist of this thing is this issue's secret weapon, in my opinion. I mean, this would be a less effective story if DC had used a colorist that didn't have the same kind of attention to detail. And that's not, and none of this, by the way, is restricted to the first page either. I mean, several pages have those same types of visuals, that fairly monochromatic figures with backgrounds based mostly upon secondary colors. It's, it's, just, it's one of those things that happens way too often for it to have been an accident. I mean, you see this very thing, uh, again, on page 20 in the first panel where Superboy zips off into the sky after Clark's dropped Lana off back at her house. And Superboy's covered in gray and the background is mostly gray with maybe like just a little bit of off blue and then some yellow light coming from Lana's house and then yellow lightning flashing through the sky I mean, it's just it's a really neat and powerful image and if you want to get uh, all artsy fartsy about it apart from just looking cool as all fuck it gives the subtle impression that even Superboy is powerless to resist the darkness that's invading Smallville he may be able to rise above it, but he can't escape it. And he can't possibly hope to contain it, much less defeat it. No. He'll be swallowed up in it just as surely as everybody else. It's just fucking cool. And I'm just, I'm in love with this story. I, to me, it's not about story logic or plot holes or any of that other bullshit. It's about fucking cool visuals and coloring, Superboy getting into badass fights and robots. Lots of and lots of robots. And so, that's that. My first entry in the Superman 76th Anniversary series. But I'm not finished talking about Superboy just yet. Next time, it'll be a different Superboy comic. Gee, you think I like Superboy or something? Oh, and something else, another thing. 
Let me know what you think of the sound effects. I've not done sound effects all that often, and when I have, I've never really gotten any feedback about it. So let me know what you think about the sound effects here. I'm just curious to know. Email me. TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. And I think that's that. Time for a break. Be right back after these messages. Prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <coughs> <coughs> no, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, would remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, Gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, 
and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com Okay, we're back now and we've got a little bit of feedback to go through. Got some email here. First up, actually both of these are dated March the 4th. First email that came through, this is from Professor Allen. The subject of which is, why the last man? Now for those of you who don't know, Professor Allen is from the Relatively Geeky Network. He's the host of the Quarter Bin Podcast, the co-host of uh, the Short Box Showcase. And he has nothing whatsoever to do with uncovering the Bronze Age. That's actually hosted by his daughter, Emily. But all of these are on the the uh, the uh, relatively geeky network. And so, anyway, that's who uh, Professor Allen is. And as I've said before, the Quarter Bin podcast is absolutely fucking hysterical. If you're not listening to it... I mean, honestly, what the fuck's your problem? Anyway, so, Professor Allen writes, Trennis. So glad you covered why, and even more so glad that you dug it so much. Along with 100 Bullets and Fables, Why the Last Man is one of the titles that brought me back to comics in the mid-2000s after my longer-than-a-decade hiatus. Even though you didn't put it in exactly these words, it's important for me to keep in mind that comics are not a genre unto themselves, but a medium. Superhero stories are a genre. And similar to how they can... And that's sort of where the paragraph sort of gives out. So I'm not really sure if that was 
where you intended to end or, or what. But anyway, um, as to the points you actually raised, though, I kind of want to agree with you. I mean, yes, on the one hand, comic books are just absolutely, inarguably, uh, a format for telling stories. They're a medium for telling stories, and I understand that. I get that. But at the same time, you know, they're... I kind of understand it, what, you know, what people mean when they talk about a, a sort of comic book type of genre. And I guess my way of processing that is that for a lot of decades, really, there was a way that stories were told in comics that really they're not told anyplace else. And also, maybe it's just because of limitations with print technology, but comic books had a certain look to them that, again, you didn't really see anyplace else. And so, yes, I understand what you mean. You know, superheroes are a genre. Comics are a medium. Comic books are not a... That is not a genre. And so, look, I understand that, but... Anyway, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. It's just, I, I think that... Or maybe what I... Maybe, actually, you know what? Maybe what I'm thinking is actually more more to do with style than genre you know there are ways that stories are told and that's not necessarily a genre so okay i guess i can roll with that so all right well all the same though i agree with you i've always thought that comics should be seen as more than just something as a vehicle for telling superhero stories and so anyway that's it's it's just it's important to remember and so that's one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about why the last man now as to the others, I'm going to be talking about uh, Fables. I honestly don't know when, but I am going to talk about Fables, and same thing actually with 100 Bullets. I'm going to talk about both of those because, again, I happen to agree with you, comics should be more than, you know, just superhero stuff, you know? And as I've said, I think a thousand fucking times now, it's not that I have anything against superheroes. Obviously, I don't. It's just that I'd like for this show to be sort of a... I don't, a celebration of everything that comic books can do, the kinds of stories that they can tell, you know, everything that can be done with comics. And I think you're sadly limiting yourself if all you talk about is uh, superhero stuff. So, to get back into Professor Allen's email, though, he writes, Agree with you on Pia Guerra. She was the perfect choice to draw this book as her... Ability to draw a variety of more or less realistic body types and facial features is exactly what this book needed. She has not done a ton of comic work since then, but has contributed a bit to the digital-only Adventures of Superman. And other than that, uh, his email ends with, keep up the good work. So let me just start off by saying, Mia fucking culpa. Holy shit. This is what happens whenever you don't really bother checking into stuff, right? Pia Guerra is... A chick. She's a, f a woman. And I didn't exactly take that into account when I started, started in on my comments about why The Last Man and specifically the art. Now, in fairness to me, I have met people with the first name Pia, not all of whom were female. And so, whatever. I mean, I, maybe I should have double-checked all this stuff, but you know what? I didn't. So, anyway. It's a funny story to tell, right? But anyway, so that's what happened. And so, I think this actually goes for other people, too. A lot of people have gotten in touch with me to say, oh, by the way, Pia Guerra 
is a woman. And yeah, one such is actually Scott Rifen. Uh, Scott Rifen of Dinner for Geeks, um, one of the co-hosts, he messaged me on Facebook, in fact, to say that exact same thing. So like I said, fucking, you know, mea culpa, this is what happens when you don't double check on stuff. And I didn't. So, so anyway, as I say, message has been received loud and fucking clear, all right? Pia Guerra is a lady. I get that, all right? So let's just fucking, let's move on. The next email I received, this comes from my old friend, Fanboy MS Prime. His email, also dated March the 4th, is entitled, Why the Last Man and Feedback? And before I, I even read this, he actually... Uh, prefaced all uh, everything that he said in his email he actually prefaced this with the facebook comment alerting me to the fact that he had basically sent me the email equivalent of fucking war and peace yeah he even posted again on march the 4th i believe that episode just got a war and peace sized email and he is not fucking around so fanboy must prime Starts off the email saying, Ba weep grana weep ninibon, Magnus. Yes, I had to use the universal greeting from Transformers the movie. To which I must put this on pause and say, You know what? If it's good enough for the fucking Transformers, it's good enough for me. Ba weep grana weep ninibon, right back at you, dude. Anyway, get back in the email. Anyway, that was an interesting show on the start of a comic series I actually haven't read before. Shame, shame. I need to uh, check out Why the Last Man. Do hope I like it more than I do the Runaways, as I am very lukewarm at best on that team. I'm a Young Avengers fanboy, to be honest. Even though I think Young Avengers Children's Crusade dragging out as long as it did killed my interest in the team and didn't care for Mother as a villain of the last volume, so left that book at issue one. Sorry, that drifted away from Why the Last Man rather quickly. As to Socrates... Oh, I do have a bone to pick with those that seem to think manga and anime aren't aren't worthy of their time among the comics crowd. Well, not all of them, but his dismissal didn't sit well with me as I do enjoy manga and anime as well as comics. Though, can get a bit confusing read a, reading manga or comics before the other as the stories are read in different directions. I'm just going to put this in pause and say I completely have no idea what you're talking about here, fanboyimus, but what I'll say is this. What little manga I've ever read, and just full disclosure, there really is not very much of it, but what little manga I've ever read, it doesn't... It's not paced like a comic book, it, it, and it, it just doesn't... The way that stories are told in manga is just different from the way that they're told in American comics. It's just the way of it. And in a, and in a w- real kind of way, I think the same can be said of anime versus animation here in America. And what I find is that anime tends to... They tell very specific types of stories or at least the ones that I'm familiar with, things like Ghost in the Shell, Akira, and, let me think, Ninja Scroll, other ones. You know, obvious ones. And I, for, like, the more uh, tasters blend kind of stuff, this I honestly don't know about, but uh, but those are, those are the ones that I've seen the most. And in fact, 
I actually kind of like um, a Ninja Scroll. Actually, I think it's a don't watch it every day, but or even every year. But I I do enjoy that one. That one's actually all right. But in general, they are different, and I can actually somewhat understand the the mentality of wanting to. I don't know, keep them separated, and I don't know. I mean, it's not the kind of thing it's it's worth going on in some big fucking crusade about how much you hate manga or anime or anything like that. It's I don't see what it's worth, but, you know, like I said, I do actually somewhat relate to that mentality. And the reason for that is, like I said, it's not just the stories that they tell, it's how those stories are told that are very different from... Well, I don't know. Basically, non-Japanese fare. All right. Basically, the way that stories are told in comics is different from how I've seen them told in manga. And like I said, same thing goes for anime. And and even I would say that their their respective creative processes really are not the same either. My understanding is that most anime, Basically, they would work what we say back, what we would say here in the, here in America, what we think is backwards. Um, in America, usually these things start with a script or an outline or whatever, but basically it starts on the page. And then generally the creative process goes outwards from there. And ultimately what we end up doing, especially with animated film, is designing it and Based upon the script, what should this look like? And again, this especially goes for animation, because that's the easiest thing to connect to. And that is completely... And again, I could be wrong, but my understanding is that is not the way that the creative process works whenever you're doing anime. It's actually completely backwards. They design it first. What just looks fucking cool? And then they build around that. Or maybe what they do is they don't necessarily start with a story idea. They start with basically a theme, a story theme. They develop visuals off of that and then a story around that or whatever. But what they don't do is basically write the shit, refine it, perfect it, design it, shoot it. That's not the way that they do it. And again, I'm not saying that either approach is right or wrong. All right, I'm just saying that... <clears throat> The stories that are told, the style, the creative process, all of these things are so completely different from what happens in America and just the types of stories that we're normally accustomed to that I can kind of understand, you know, the attitude at least that comic book fans might not gravitate to that because in my experience, the vast majority of them don't. Now, yes, I do realize that anime and manga and all those other things, they have huge huge audiences in America. But I think if you were to if you were to dis basically separate people who like comics and people who like the basically I guess we could say Japanese media for just kind of use the shorthand, you're not going to have as much overlap between those two crowds as you might think. Right? What I generally find is that the average manga fan, number 1, isn't necessarily a comic book fan and number 2, She's probably a she. Kind of like Pia Guerra is a she, and this is one of those things I should have taken note of, but let's not dwell upon the past. And generally, that's just, that's just what I've noticed. You know, it, Women tend to be more into manga than men are, right? And you know what? Whatever. That's not good. That's not bad. It's just fucking true. 
And that's just the way that I feel about it. And so... My point here is that you seem to think that comic fans may be somewhat wasting their time when it comes to dabbling with manga and anime. Or rather, you don't think that they're wasting their time. Sorry, I, mis I, I misread that. You don't think that they're wasting their time. In other words, y what you write is, you have a bone to pick with those that seem to think manga and anime aren't worthy of their time among the comics crowd. And honestly, that's not me. I, I think that generally the people who feel that way are very, they're very much within their rights to feel that way, both for themselves, but also just as a safe rule of averages for others, you know? And it, it's kind of weird. For as much as manga-type visuals have kind of influenced American comics, especially in the last 20 or so years, I think it's undeniable. I think it would be inaccurate to say that America is all about manga. I just don't think that's true. And especially, I don't think that's true of most comics fans. I generally think that, you know, you have manga fans, you have comics fans, and by and large, they really don't relate to each other very much. Anyway, get back into his email, though. Both East and West have fine reading material, and both have just plain shit. It happens. Though it annoys me for it to be... for it to be dismissed like that. For this, for this show, the one manga or anime I'd want to see reviewed is Giver. Not a guy who can who can make a way out of danger with a handful of random stuff, a guy who has an organic battle suit with a built-in chest cannon, a guy with an organic battle suit with a built-in chest cannon. You know what? Part of me is actually tempted to give that a shot, just to put your email on pause, but actually part of me is actually tempted to give that a shot on fucking principle. An organic battle suit with a built-in fucking chest cannon. Fuck me, that actually sounds kind of cool. Look, usually what I tell people is no promises. Um, maybe I'll dig into Giver, maybe I won't. But gotta tell you, dude, built-in fucking chest cannon, that's, that's a hard one to walk away from. Anyway, get back into his email. On to Big Bang Theory. My thoughts on it is I frankly don't care about it at all. To me, it just exists. Though, Magnus, I do have to agree with you in that... It, if that's what even when supposedly geeky culture is on top, they think of us, then they can keep their they can keep their parties. I just wonder if any of them, quote unquote, would wake up in cold sweat realizing their fantasy football is nothing more than role playing. That isn't anything against anyone that enjoys fantasy football and playing it. However, I'm utterly unsure anyone listening to this is well aware how it is role playing. Not with dice or a character sheet, but still role-playing all the same. I'm going to put this on pause and say, you know what? I think you can draw a much fucking straighter line between sports fandom and comics fandom than either side may be completely comfortable with. Bust this. You go to some fucking football game, or more likely you see it on TV, right? For sure, you're, you're all familiar with the stereotype. You're all familiar with the, with, with the trope. Some fucking lunatic in like 20 degree weather has painted his entire fucking body green so that he can support the fucking Packers. Does anybody give a shit? No. I guarantee you, the members of the team wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. But for whatever reason, he puts on the fucking body paint and he goes, he goes to the fucking games because he wants to support the team. And he goes to these fucking games in this fucking body paint and he's going to look at people dressed up like Doctor Who and say they're freaks. Okay? And like you said, to use your example, 
Fantasy, fo- uh, fantasy football is basically fucking role-playing. And you know what, dude? You don't have to convince me of that. I know even less about fantasy football than I do role-playing, but I'm familiar with the basic ideas and premises of both. Believe me, I don't. you don't have to convince me of anything here. I absolutely see the connection there. And I guess the hell of it is, you know, I guess as a society, I mean, like, people want to believe that, you know, geeks are on top now. You know, we run the world. Motherfuckers, no, we don't. No, we don't. All right? Now, a lot of geek stuff is pop culture right now. Nobody can argue that, but people, here's the thing. And call me a doomsayer if you want. This I do believe. We went through a time in the, ni- in, uh, the 1970s where basically it was to the point when movie studios were just throwing anything against the wall to find out what would stick. The movie theater, or the movie business, I should say, the movie industry, Hollywood, was fucking dying in the 70s. All right? And it took the likes of Steven Spielberg... George Lucas, Brian De Palma, to some degree or another, Francis Ford Coppola, and maybe some other people, really to bring new life to Hollywood. And from that time on, as far as I know, Hollywood has never been in trouble. But there was a time in Hollywood, the 70s, they were throwing anything against the wall just to see what worked and what didn't. All right, well, they... And like I said, in comes George Lucas to the rescue. Now they start thinking, you know what? Action movies... Seem to draw in crowds. Let's make shitloads of action movies. 1980s action movies. I mean, there were more fucking action movies in the 1980s than there had... Uh, than, uh, probably there were more in the latter half of, of the 1980s than there were in the entire j- history of the genre prior to then. I believe it. All right? The 1980s is the genre... That's the decade of the action movie genre. And I think ever since then, we've entered into a period of cultural fucking atrophy. All right, And I think what we're seeing right now is basically everything that was kind of cool and unique about American pop culture shrivel up and fucking die. The 80s had action movies. The 90s had sequels to those action movies. And for the last 20-some years, or no, not 20 years, but probably, I don't know, probably about 15 or so years, we've, we've been going through this, this comic book kick, all right? There is nothing left in American pop culture. This is just my just fucking gloomy outlook on things. There is nothing left in American pop culture for Hollywood to make movies out of and theme parks and action figures and Slurpee cups and all that other bullshit. There's nothing left. If it's not comics, they got nothing. All right? We're to the point now where we're fucking remaking stuff. All right? Think about that. We are remaking movies that are less than 20 fucking years old. Now, people... I'm not completely opposed to the idea of remakes, but think about this for a minute. The reason most people love Ocean's Eleven with George Clooney and Brad Pitt and all the rest is because they never fucking saw the original Ocean's Eleven. And hell, I bet some of you listening to this didn't even know there was an original Ocean's Eleven, but I assure you, there was. All right, And remakes like that where you've got literally nothing to lose. By all means, man, God bless. You know, tear it up, dude. Do what you want to do. But this whole idea of remaking movies that very frankly don't fucking need to be remade total recall robocop carrie the day the earth stood still i'm looking pretty much right at you war of the worlds i mean did we really need remakes of this shit no but here's the thing they make a certain amount of profit they 
rarely, if ever, are they just runaway smash hits, but they're always guaranteed a certain amount of profit. They're always going to they're always going to do a certain amount of business and so Hollywood's always going to crank the fucking things out. The rest of the time they they are depending upon geek media, all right? Originality in Hollywood is fucking dead, all right? There is no more originality. We are to the point now where remakes are one of two main pillars that are propping up Hollywood right now, all right? Half the fucking movies that win Oscars, most people don't, they haven't heard about, they don't give a shit about, all right? True originality in Hollywood just simply doesn't sell. And so we're actually to the point now, we don't fucking ever get it, ever, all right? We get remakes, which is bad enough, and now... They've hijacked comics, all right? Now, geeks have looked at this and thought, oh, that means we're in control. Motherfuckers know it's not. That's not what it means. It means now we are the bitch, all right? Their opinions of us, and they, the civilians, the outsiders, the mainstream, the straights, whatever you fucking want to call them, they don't like us. They have never liked us. The day will never come when they like us. And so the fact that they depend upon us now to make a fucking living for their screenplays, for their movies, for their special effects, for their leading men, for their leading women, all of that stuff. Do you think they're fucking happy about that? Do you really think there's anybody at whatever fucking network the Big Bang Theory is on, NBC or whatever it is, do you really think the people at that network are happy that they have to make a TV show about nerds and that's their big claim to fame right now? I assure you they're not. All right? I re- It would be a tremendous fucking mistake I think for people to look at what's going on right now in Hollywood on TV shit what's happening with Netflix and Marvel and you've got uh, Daredevil Luke Cage Black, I think Black Widow's in there and, and all these other fucking Marvel things that are coming guys our our media our comics and our, our, our stuff it may be popular and stuff right now but don't ever make the mistake of thinking that people are happy about that because they're not alright and I'm you know what? Some people may see, may think that's petulant or that's negative or whiny or bratty or, or elitist or whatever else. But guys, I'm, fu- I'm telling you, it's fucking true. All right? Nobody can argue that we nerds are better represented now, better treated now than we were 20, 30, 40 years ago. All right? Nobody can make that argument. The entire fucking Big Bang Theory show is all about reminding us that we are the bitch. That's what it's about. All right. Now, because of that, it's been in fucking possible for me to enjoy that show. All right. I feel like, look, people, I live in Texas. All right. And what you think I watched King of the Hill? I don't like being made fun of. Nobody likes being made fun of. And, you know, that's just where we are right now with Big Bang Theory. All right. This is not a show for us. It's a show. It's not even a show about us. It's about how outsiders view us. And you know what? For all I know, maybe the show has evolved. Maybe it's become something more than that since then. Which would show a remarkable fucking amount of imagination for a sitcom. But I'm willing to consider a miracle here. Maybe things have changed with that show, but nothing is ever going to change the way it fucking started. Alright? Even if it's totally not that way anymore. That's still the way it started. Nobody can say that it's not. And it just... Look, guys, I mean, anyone who's listening to this and you enjoy the Big Bang Theory, look, God bless, all right? But on, honestly, I, 
I just don't get it. I don't get it. But to bring it all back to Fanboy Miss Prime's point, you can, like I said, you, you can draw a very fucking straight line between what, what we do in geek culture and what the mainstream, the civilians, the whoever's, do with their sports, all right? I mean, honestly, what is the difference between, say, the Super Bowl and the opening of the next Avengers movie or the new Spider-Man reboot or the new Superman reboot or whatever fucking is coming down the line? What is the difference in terms of what it means to them and what it means to us? And in fact, those movies are so fucking expensive now, the marketing campaigns behind these movies, they have to appeal to everybody. I mean, it's this... You know, it's common knowledge, I think, by this point, that movie studios can't market their films only to comic book fans because there simply are not enough of us. All right? And so they have to go on these just fucking tremendous, expensive marketing campaigns. My my suggestion to you is this. In the year... Let me think. Avengers came out in 2012. The year that, that, that Avengers came out, brand awareness of the Avengers was comparable to the Super Bowl that year. <clears throat> This I do affirm, all right? That's the level of awareness that had to be built in order to make sure that Avengers turned a tidy profit. Now, as it happened, the, it, was a, it was a good product, and so it did just fucking crazy business at the box office, but that isn't the point. The point is the amount of awareness that, that has to be built into these super expensive movies is not comparable to what you have to do to promote major fucking sporting events. That's what we're talking about. And that's and you know, this is not to speak of, you know, other other things, other revenue channels such as merchandising, rentals, uh, Blu-ray, home video in general, on and on and on and on. All right, action figures, everything, t-shirts, whatever. And the amount of money that gets spent on these on these market uh, on these marketing budgets for these big fucking huge films, my view of it is there's really not a big difference between that and the marketing budgets for and I'm talking about their end result, the the brand awareness that gets built, isn't very far away from say the World Series, all right? And so the jock douchebags out there who made life hell for all of us when we were younger. They can, you know, they can say whatever they want about what a big bunch of nerds we are, but you know what? At the end of the day, they're still playing their little fucking fantasy football, and I'd like to think that on some level, they know they're one of us, one of us. And honestly, shit like that brings you satisfaction that money can't buy, but anyway. So, man, that's a fucking huge rant. I've got so much more of this email to go through. So, anyway. Point is, I don't even fucking remember what my point is. Anyway, I'm just going to get back into his email. Prime writes... That also isn't for me as Yeah, that also isn't for me as my home team is Cleveland. And on a football chat, someone I've listened to uh, uh, run, I asked once what they felt would be more likely: the Cleveland Browns winning the Super Bowl or an alien invasion. The only one not to go with aliens did so because he didn't believe aliens exist. And that was from football fans. So you can see how much the Browns utterly suck, with the other Cleveland teams being cut from the same cloth. I looked it up, and pretty sure Wikipedia is correct in, in that the Browns have never won a single Super Bowl. Ever. So my utter disinterest in professional sports, I believe, is understandable. And I'm going to put your email on pause. Yeah, you know what? I can kind of understand that. But at the same time, 
You know, one of the things I've kind of come to understand about myself over the years is, and I don't want to sound like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, what is the deal with sports? You know, but I kind of, you know, for a lot of years, that's sort of the way I felt about it. But I have been able to invest myself a little bit in one, well, I say one sport, really a couple of sports. First is boxing. I like boxing. To me, it's it's just it's the sweet science. That's what Lennox Lewis always calls it. He says it's the it's the sweet science. And there's so much strategy and intellect that goes into that goes into boxing. I mean, you it, people who don't know anything about boxing think that it's just basically people standing in a ring and punching each other. And no, that's UFC. Honestly, boxing it's actually a little bit more pure it's a lot smaller but it's a it's a little more pure now in that a lot of the a lot of the uh, would-be roman citizens that would attend coliseums and games and stuff people being fed to lions now these days they watch ufc because that's where they can get their blood and brutality so boxing as a result is a little bit more pure and like I said, I mean, the, the strategy of it, the just the intelligence of it. Yeah, you do have people going, you know, stepping in the ring, and then they just have these big, huge wars. But by and large, there's just, that's, that's not the way that things normally are. By and large, what you see is just a purer sport. It's more of a sport now. Another sport I like is women's tennis. And the reason for that is because I would probably enjoy men's tennis, but basically men's tennis, it's serve, return, serve, return, serve, return. You very rarely get any kind of a rally going, you know, where, you know, it's serve, return, 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 return. You know, you it's so rare that you get that. But, and that's because, you know, the the tennis rackets that people use these days are so fucking powerful that when it that first off the ball gets served and it's going into triple digits when it goes over the net and then when when the guy on the uh, on the other side at the baseline when he returns the shot we're talking about like a full-grown man who exercises and works out like a motherfucker using one of those premium graphite tennis rackets and he just fucking nails that thing human reflexes are not fast enough to to return the shot. And so it's that's just what it is. Serve, return, serve, return, serve, return. Or sometimes it's just serve, 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 serve. And women's tennis, because they are physically not as strong as men, they have to rely more on on rallies. And they have to, you know, it's serve, return, 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 return. And that's when you start seeing things like strategy and things like that creep into where, you know, even if it's just making the the other player run her balls off, it's still, there's still competition there. And so to me, that's what I like. So boxing and women's tennis. And then finally, hockey. I like hockey. And I especially like the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Now, I feel weird about this because this is the only team sport that I'm really into. And so it's a... It's a strange thing. Cause, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, as much as I make fun of the guy, he actually did make a really good point one time, you know. 
really, team sports, when you come right down to it, what you're doing is cheering on fucking laundry, right? The guy that you're cheering for today, you're going to boo tomorrow whenever he joins some other team. Man, that guy sucks. He's a hack. He's, he's fucking nobody. He's a, he's a poser. You know, and just the day before, you were singing his praises, you know? And there is a limited degree to which I can kind of get that, because what I find is that a lot of sports teams have their own independent culture, right? Uh, and let me think, I guess like a good example of that would be I don't, like the New Jersey Devils, right? That's a very defense-oriented team, right? They always have been. They always will be. And they seem to be at their worst when <clears throat> they get a head coach who wants to turn that team into, uh, and, give, and make them, I guess, more offense-minded, right? And so that's just the way the team just fucking wants to be. You can swap out every single fucking member of the team, and for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, the New Jersey Devils are simply at their best when they play on the defensive. I don't know why, right? And so, and, you know, I mean, it, and, and, it, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, um, other teams have their own have their own uh, uh, cultures, too. Like the Philadelphia Flyers. They're called the Broad Street Bullies. And, you know, if you know anything about their history, well, there's a reason for that. And my view is they haven't completely shaken that. You know, on and on and on. And so I can kind of understand, to a degree, team sports. Kind of. You know? And so... Now, if you're stuck in Cleveland, and all you have is just shit sports to choose from or shit teams, then, you know, look, dude, I got, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, all right? I'm, I, I, I guess maybe I can sympathize with you on the grounds that I, I probably wouldn't re- relate to sports either, but I'm just saying that, like I said, I want to be careful in how I say this because I don't want anyone to think that I'm some kind of big-time sports fan. I'm not. I mean, anyway, so, but that's that. So, anyway... This is a long fucking email, and I'm rambling here. So, anyway, back into the email. Prime writes, On to the new 52. I'm cold and hot on that. There's some good ideas uh, in it and stories, but the five-year timeline is pretty much a broken joke because they didn't try a complete and utter reboot. Biggest offender is they have so many Robins, and, of course, Damian, Damian Wayne, still exist. I'm going to put this on pause and say, I think the context for all of this is Prime has basically responded to, I think, a comment I made that I walked into the New 52 expecting it to be a page one, scorched earth, from the ground up, reboot. And that is not what we got. Basically, key elements of... of the pre-Flashpoint continuity are still in continuity. And specifically, Batman and Green Lantern weren't rebooted at all. And neither neither was the Legion of Superheroes. Although that ended up taking care of itself recently. Um, but anyway, neither was the Legion of Superheroes, right? All of these things were basically dragged into the new 52. Now, somebody somewhere obviously had a five-year timeline in mind, and come hell or high water... We're going to abide by that five-year timeline. Now, I think you can arguably make that work, kind of, with Green Lantern. 
you're still kind of stuck in this weird place where you have to basically make Hal Jordan a Green Lantern. He has to, at, at some point or another, fall under Parallax's influence. Then he has to get possessed by Parallax. Then he has to, be, in effect, become Parallax. Kyle Rayner has to become Green Lantern, carry the torch for a, a considerable amount of time. And then Hal Jordan comes back, and then you, and then there's got to be time in there for basically the entire fucking Jeff Johns run of Green Lantern. And all at once, it's starting to become hard to believe that all of this stuff can fit inside of a five-year timeline. Difficult, but not impossible. But the that's just not that is not possible at all with with Batman. You can maybe fit the idea of parts of Batman's history into a five-year timeline, but Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, or sorry, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, and now Damian Wayne, it's hard enough to fit those three in as Robin in a five-year timeline. And, you know, I realized that people were upset that Tim Drake was basically retroactively demoted from having ever been Robin. I'm not fond of that either, but on the other hand, it's just process of elimination. Dick Grayson has to have been Robin, and then he has to have become Nightwing. That's non-negotiable. Jason Todd had to have been Robin, and then he had to get murdered, and then he had to come back to life, and then he had to become Red Hood. He's still in continuity. Also, not on the table. That's not open. And next... Grant Morrison was up to his eyeballs in a story specifically about Damian Wayne. You really could not take him off the table either. So who's that leave? Honestly, how many how many really crucially important things has Tim Drake ever really done as Robin? I'm not trying to shortchange the character or his history. To me, he will always be Robin, my Robin. But honestly, What is it in what story has there ever been with Tim Drake that is absolutely indefucking-spensable to continuity? It must be Tim Drake. It cannot be anybody else. Guys, I'm at a loss. I really am. Now you might you might want to say that you know what Nightfall involved Tim Drake heavily, and you know what? Yeah, that's true. It did. But it it would have had that same kind of influence no matter who would have been Robin, right? That same impact on Robin would have happened to Robin no matter who was Robin. Whether it was Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Damian Wayne, whoever, it didn't necessarily have to be specifically Tim Drake is what I'm saying. All right, so you know what? I'm not defending the, the, the decision. I'm just trying to explain what I think the mentality was behind it. Uh, personally, I think they made the wrong fucking decision. Personally, what I would have wanted to see is top-down restart. All right? If we must reboot this stuff, and apparently we must, everything goes. Yeah, I realize that would have pissed off Jeff Johns. And it would have pissed off Grant Morrison. And it might have pissed off some other people. You know what? Fine. Then don't reboot. All right? But the whole idea of this selective fucking reboot Certain characters get restarted where certain other ones don't. It's just fucking bullshit, all right? And it fucking... You know what? Look, I don't want to cast aspersions on my fellow fans, but it kind of fucking blows my mind sometimes that you guys so easily... Well, some of you 
so easily bought into this stuff. You know, I mean, one of the reasons I bowed out was because I realized this is not a full-scale reboot. Actually, that's number two. The main reason is I just didn't like where things were going with Superman. But number two, this was not a full-scale fucking reboot. It was for Superman, apparently, but not for other characters. And I'm sorry, that's two-faced, all right? If you're going to reboot, then fucking reboot, all right? But this whole idea of, like, a selective reboot that only affects some people, it's fucking bullshit. And I'm not going to do that anymore. So, fuck it. Anyway. Oh, and I'm getting back into... um getting back into uh, Prime's email here. And, of course, the fact that we got a lot more, uh, a lot of proof that the that the DC New was thrown together at the last minute in publishing terms with Grant Morrison confirming that w- when he was asked to write Action Comics. Or the writer of Legion Lost saying, and that's Fabian Nicieza, I think? Maybe? The writer of Legion Lost saying, in public, he wasn't sure if Superman counted as a Legionnaire for the reboot before Legion, well, before Legion and Action Comics made it clear the Man of Steel was. Oh. And for the Superman and Wonder Woman thing, eh, whatever. For the Silver Age, I mentioned that because even there not being much of a foundation for a relationship beyond a date or two is more than two psychotic nutcases after Superman and a total dumbass Diana had after her. Seriously, from what I heard, Wonder Woman once made herself appear hideous as Wonder Woman... <clears throat> Uh, to Steve Trevor to see if he really loved her or would go out with Diana Prince. He ran off screaming and, if I recall, didn't go out with Wonder Woman. Especially given this was in the Silver Age, Superman probably would have looked at Diana's altered appearance and said, Eh, I've seen weirder. So, cup of coffee? So it isn't that I believe in that pairing more than... Do they really have anything better in the Silver Age? And honestly, it's uh, it's all in how you look at it. I actually find the Superman Wonder Woman book to be rather amusing. Not expecting much out of it, but it is fun. Red Lantern is okay, and a few others. Though it seems most of these books I, I like got canceled or get canceled. Oh well. Actually, I'm going to put this on pause and say, you know what? Before the new 52 started up, like I want to say it was maybe it might have been fully a year before the new 52 launched i made a decision that you know what i'm gonna read the fuck out of aquaman you right because i you know everybody makes fun of him and this was kind of chic at the time everybody makes fun of the guy but i've always liked him on smallville and you know the character's been around for this fucking long there's got to be something to this character that has made him endure and what i've since kind of come to understand is that aquaman He's sort of like Thor in the sense that he's a character of two worlds. I mean, yeah, you have Aquaman, the guy who's a member of the Justice League, and he's a superhero and all that other stuff. But you also have the sort of King Arthur type. And he lives in Atlantis, and he's got responsibilities, and he's married to Mera, and all that stuff. And honestly, I liked that. I liked the idea of Aquaman being perceived as something other than what he is. Now, as it happens, that seems like that was very much in line with the take that Jeff uh, Jeff John started doing with uh, the New 52. And, by the way, I really enjoyed that, what I read of it. I thought it was great stuff. And it, to me, it proved that Jeff Johns didn't make Aquaman a cool character. Jeff Johns showed us what a cool character Aquaman already was. And so... 
and I get that. It's just it's one of those things that ended up getting thrown out with, you know, basically the baby's getting thrown out with the bathwater where I turn my back on all of the new 52 because, you know, in the end it became very apparent that this is not... This is not a full-scale reboot, basically, is, is what it comes down to. And... I, like I said, I'm just I'm I'm tired of that. You know, I'm tired of I'm tired of DC getting away with half-ass efforts. All right, reboot or don't reboot. All right, but I'm sick of them jacking us all off and you know wanting to have all of the trappings and excitement of a reboot, but not wanting to actually commit in the sense of throwing shit out like or, okay, well, here's one like deleting Nightwing from continuity. Or deleting Jason Todd from continuity. On and on and on. Yeah, you know what? Fucking those things would probably, you know, are probably going to be necessary. But what you're building towards is going to be something that's so fucking much better than ideas that we've been living with now for what? Like 40 fucking years? Or I guess 30 years in the case of Nightwing. We're closing in on 30 years. You know? And that's just the way I feel about it. So, anyway. Get back into his email, though. So I think part of my enjoyment of the DC news is I so desire there to be a Superman team-up cartoon, like I mentioned on your Facebook page, and to mix the decent ideas of the reboot with other eras to make something similar to Batman, the Brave and the Bold. I think using some of the Bronze Age, some of the current stuff, and other sources mixed together, and you'd get a team-up show to explore various corners of the DCU. For the Marvel family, which I'd go with the out-of-time element not used well in the Bronze Age. They'd be the Golden Age heroes thrown into the modern world. Yeah, it's what happened to Captain America, but DC seems to want to be the Marvel Universe, or 90s image, and neither identity fits DC at all. I want to put this on pause and say, I am a firm fucking believer of uh, in, in the uh, concept of, of putting uh, Captain Marvel in his own universe. And I think... But at the same time, I do think there, you know what, there may actually be something to the idea that if you set up that the Marvel Universe, by which I mean the Captain Marvel Universe, the Fawcett Universe, was originally, I don't know, it was originally, in fact, you know what, fuck it, make it the Golden Age, right? All of this stuff took place in, as far as anybody knew, the 1940s, and the next thing you know, there's some kind of time-altering crisis that throws the Fawcett, basically Fawcett City, into the mainstream DC universe, and not only are they in an alternate world, they're in a different fucking time altogether. And I think, you know what, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But I, I do like the idea of the Fawcett universe being self-contained and not interacting too much with DC, uh, apart from, like, you know, crossovers and stuff like that, but otherwise they exist in their own separate universes. Anyway, to get back to Prime's email... Back to my DC Presents idea. It would also follow a bit of the Batman, the Brave and the Bold, in taking some versions of the characters not really seen in animation and using them. One of these being the Simon Baz Green Lantern. I mean, it seems even DC no longer cares about this guy, and Sinestro's gotten his own comic book series before him. For the cartoon, I'd not say specifically what crimes he had done but something shady had gone down in his background, so Batman doesn't like the guy at all, and Hot Girl wants to smash his face in. 
I picked Baz because a Green Lantern with skeletons in their closet would make for a different sort of tension than Guy Gardner at his most alpha male brutish would bring to the table. Though he won't have a gun. He doesn't really need one when he has the most powerful weapon in the universe, to be honest. And I'm going to put this on pause, and I'm just going to... Actually, you know what? No, actually, I'm going to continue with the email. I'm, I'll put it on pause in just a minute. Plus, Hal, Guy, and John have all been the major GLs in various cartoons. Kyle also uh, got an ep, uh, an episode in Superman the Animated Series, and I want S Simon Baz to get some time in the spotlight. And with the mission statement of using the obscure or less used, or less used on-air versions of the team-up heroes means he'd be the best choice. And... To be like Justice League when the League is together isn't all just a bunch of white guys. And it isn't to be PC either. It's a case of there being a new Green Lantern, and I figure the, the new guy could use a boost in the public eye, and could be fun to see what could be done with him. Too bad DC doesn't seem to want to do that with him. I'm going to put this on pause, and I'm going to try to be careful the way I say this. But honestly, to me, I view Simon Baz as a character... I'm sorry, that is just fucking pandering. You know, I'm sorry. There's no nice way to say it. I I guess on some level I can appreciate the intent, but it just kind of feels like I'm being preached at, really is what it comes down to, you know? And I think there was even a point when Simon was driving around in a car, a van, and there were explosives loaded into the back, Prime to go off, I might add, and basically Simon didn't want to pull over for the cops because he's he's a a Middle Eastern man, an Arabic man, and how is that going to look? Or Arab, I should say. He's an Arab man, and how is that going to look? An Arab man driving around with explosives in the and basically what we're it, it kind of felt to me like what I'm supposed to feel about that is, you know, well, what would I have assumed in that situation? If I see uh, an Arab man driving around with explosives in the back seat of his car, and I might have assumed, you know what, this guy's a terrorist, and that makes me a bad person. Well, guys, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. If I see anybody, apart from a demolition crew driving around with explosives in the back of their car, I don't care what race they are, I'm going to assume they're a fucking terrorist, and I'm calling the police. All right, and but it just it 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 basically sets up the situation where anyone would think this guy is a fucking terrorist, and basically makes you feel like an asshole for jumping to conclusions. And I'm sorry, people, that's not an unreasonable conclusion to make under the circumstances. So, and it just first off, I just fucking resented his introduction. All right, put it that way. And then on top of that, it just kind of felt like every step of the way, he's basically there to remind us that not all Arabs are terrorists. All right, and it's just, I just feel like I'm being lectured to and preached at, and it just, it pisses me off, you know? I mean, I'm sorry, a comic book is not a, a, a soapbox for some guy to, to bring apart, or rather bring, bring about his agenda, all right? Look, I'm, I'm very happy that Jeff Johns considers himself to be a racially tolerant and sensitive person. He's very open-minded. But guys, I'll make you a fucking promise. If he were, if he was walking down the street, he looked over and, and saw a Middle Eastern man driving around a van full of fucking explosives. If he says that he wouldn't call the cops, he's either a complete fucking idiot or he's a complete fucking liar. Take your pick. So that's just the way I feel about it. So anyway, so that colors a lot of my 
I don't know, ill will for Simon Baz as a character. I just don't. When he's in, when he basically the entire character, when when the character's entire introdu- introduction and existence are predicated upon making people feel like assholes for you know assuming what anybody would assume in that situation, it's hard for me to to want to enjoy the character no matter how cool he may actually end up being. And I do think he's actually kind of cool. <clears throat> anyway, back to the email. On to Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Oh yes, the Hawks would be involved as well. Hot girl, hawk woman going on with uh, going with an unlikely source is going with the post nth metal is gone version. Basically, she'd be first seen in, <clears throat> in Central City or Keystone City, or even Gotham as the loose cannon cop that doesn't play by the rules. And that's before they show her as a wingman, and she really starts kicking ass and taking names. For heart, uh, for Hawkman. He'd go by his DC New origin of ending up on Earth and landing during or in the aftermath of a major ecological disaster, and his name changed in gaining computer records from Katar Hole to Carter Hall. One thing definitely that would happen is a shadow uh, is a shadow war between the Thanagarians and the Daemonites. Something that would involve Superman, the Hawks, and Grifter. Grifter. Uh, okay, this says being, being. Hmm. Alright, well, whatever. I'll just try to hash through it. Grifter being told he's some chosen one, quote-unquote, to defeat the Daemonites, and he's not sure what everyone in, in the group he's with is smoking, but it's better to have someone watch his back as the Daemonites seem to hate his guts already. Grifter is also someone Batman and Hawkgirl don't care much for given their backgrounds of being tied somewhat to the law or being a cop and he's a con man, they aren't going to like that guy. Especially given trouble follows him like it's a hungry dog and he's got dog treats in his back pocket. As the Bat himself, he would have uh, he would have had Robin, or sorry, he would have had one Robin or just two at the most. Batman most definitely would not be the Frank Miller one. Not sure he'd be any one vision of the character, but uh, he'd probably be closest to the Bronze Age version that wasn't this unstoppable force and a man who could be blindsided and people could get the drop on. And also play up the detective angle as as in he's not a dumbass that can be led along like the Nolan vs. Batman has been. The Martian Manhunter I would play with, uh, I would play with his current version Okay, I'm not sure what you're trying to say here. The Martian Manhunter, I would play with his current version a bit. He's very forbidding and a bit creepy. Superman isn't even sure if Jean has messed with his mind or not. Yet, that would turn out to be more of a mask the Martian Manhunter wears when he's in the field and dealing with the bad guys. He's much more his post-crisis personality when he's with the other heroes. Though they sometimes aren't sure... Who is the Jean? The harsh warrior they know on the battlefield? Or the wise man who enjoys Oreos or Chacos to avoid copyright and such? Power Girl and Huntress, I'd go with... I'd go with the current versions, more or less, as, let's be honest, Power Girl's origins were utterly a mess. 
post-crisis to infinite crisis. And yeah, you're absolutely right about that prime. They absolutely it it was a mess. It was a train wreck. It was a clusterfuck. For a cartoon, I'd want to go with something I can explain at least in a paragraph, if not a sentence. It'd also be with Karen's full-body DC new outfit, as I do think it was all right, and to avoid dealing with the censors over her boob window costume. Honestly, that would to put your email on pause. That would actually that would work for me as well. I like the idea of her having a full body costume. I mean, I don't know why it just it, it works for me. And honestly, you know what? Here's an idea. Why not just bring uh, Superman's cousin to Earth and call her Power Girl? But she can be a combination of Karen and Kara. Uh, you know, basically Earth One Kara and Earth Two Karen. You know, I, I, I don't see where that could go wrong. You know, so anyway, and also, and to be honest, no, I, I honestly like the new Fifty Two Supergirl as well. So a little bit of that, that would go a long way. But definitely with a full body costume and just call her Power Girl. Anyway, back to the email. That desire for brevity is why I'd go with the Teen Titans being the Dan Jurgens take as being able to use a single origin for most of a team. Plus, I enjoyed that era. Though, unlike DC editor, I'd go with the original plan for the team and have Robin or Nightwing or Raven or Cyborg or such working together as the mentors and ties to the Teen Titans name. Aquaman, I'd probably go more or less with the current version. We got the bearded badass Peter David Aquaman in the DCAU, and we got the fun-loving Aquaman and Batman the Brave and the Bold. I doubt I could top those, so it'd be best to try a different take on the Marine Marvel. The Marine Marvel. Yes, that is one of Aquaman's more obscure and out-of-use monikers. A bit surprising, it's so left in uh, obscurity as it does roll right off the tongue. Actually, I agree. The Marine Marvel, it does. It, it just pops right out there. For Wonder Woman, the thing I have most for her is the question of if Artemis counts as Wonder Woman, quote-unquote, in any legal stuff, as that would be a backdoor around any legal crap if I needed someone to fill the bracelets in Tiara. And that isn't a slight against the character, and is more the fact that she's had a lot of legal crap in the way of her showing up in some shows. Another thing would be for her to go out on a date with Superman, and it drags the Man of Steel into fighting Greek mythology. And, of course, Clark suggesting they just be friends after a wild adventure. And honestly, I would fucking love that. Yeah, that would be cool. On we go. One more oddball character I'd have the Man of Steel team up with is Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. He's a character I've enjoyed reading about, and he'd be able to open up some crazy adventures given the stuff he went through in his, in his series. The atomic hero I'd explore, to I'm sure the surprise of everyone, would be Breach. Again, following the M.O. of Batman, the brave and the bold, and giving the guy some time in the spotlight. And also, having a team with Batman and Superman as Talia al Ghul plays a part with Breach's enemies. Plus, it'd be funny for Batman to wonder why they trust her at all. In all honesty, she'd be one of the major elements that would end the threat of the Rifters. And you know what? Uh, yeah, here we go. Lost my lost my place. One very unexpected character I'd have show up in the is the Silver Age Superwoman, because if the not bound to Lois Lane for a romantic lead like the DCU has an effect, might as well have fun with Superman's romantic life a bit.
and likely involve her and Superman meeting and fighting Starbreaker with the League and the Guardians of the Universe, and a boatload of other cosmic heroes in the background. Plus, Superman finding out what gives him his strength would kill her. Okay. The Flash, I think, would be Barry. Wally got to be the Flash in the DCAU, and what made Wally such a rich character is not available with a five-year timeline. Unless Barry just died. Which might work, actually. To be honest, either character works for this. And again, the only underused Flash at this point is Bart Allen, and I'd rather use him as Impulse. Um, that's really an all, all in how you look at it. Bart popped up in a couple of episodes of Smallville, like three that I can think of. And he also came back for Smallville Season 11. I mean, oddly enough, so far, he's made more... He, he's got more face time and live action than Wally West. Anyway, just want to throw that out there. And a final character I'd want to, I'd want to have to see what could be done with is, of all people, Captain Strong. Then again, it's DC's version of freaking Popeye. <laughs> and yeah, he is. I mean, seriously, that's so crazy and insane. It'd have to be amusing to out that guy in the room with the Justice, with the Justice League. And even they go, Soups, where did you find this guy? Seriously, a space, a space seaweed makes him super strong? For Superman's setting itself, I'd go more or less with... More or less his Bronze Age sort of deal as a TV reporter as well. Let's just say I find that probably more understandable given the state of print media. Plus, it hasn't been explored before beyond how Clark showed up in the, in the Lego Batman games. Yeah, some of my ideas are a weird marriage of the Bronze Age and DC New. But it allows me a lot of things that haven't been explored in the various cartoons. And as the hero list and, uh, and villain list is coming, is coming up, show that I want to explore ground that hasn't been used before. I honestly don't know what you're trying to tell me here, but anyway, I'm just not parsing this. I think there you know, something's misspelled or something. I don't know. Anyway, for an unexpected choice of a foe for the Man of Steel, I'd go with the current Shadow Thief, uh, which I don't know anything about her, to be honest with you, uh, uh, Prime, but if you say so. I believe she'd make for an interesting foil for Superman and the other alien heroes as what she's doing is to protect the Earth from all the aliens that have come to Earth to wreck it or conquer it. Her problem being, she can't see that there are aliens on Earth that don't want to trash the place or do it harm. And, of course, have her get disillusioned with dealing with supervillains as they're pretty much prima donnas with superpowers and don't really care about anything but themselves. And to her, superheroes are way too willing to let anyone with a costume into their club. With the Joker, I'd go with his being John Doe and his plans of a for normal people movement. When, when he'd of course be bothering the League with governmental crap and and more, but in the end, the League would unmask him at one of at one of his rallies, and the Joker starts cackling with the stunned looks on the faces of his supporters, and signs being dropped as the episode goes to black with the Joker's laughter. For Lex Luthor. It'd be the only take not done in the cartoons. He'd be the hero of Lexor, and the people would consider Superman the villain. Yet, even with that and an attractive life, uh, wife, Luther just won't be happy. He'd still be doing his things to fight Superman and be a pain in his butt. And of course, 
blame Superman when his obsession got him in trouble with his wife. I want to put this on pause and saying, you know, people bash on that, the whole Lexor aspect of the Bronze Age, and I just don't get it. I mean, that is one of the best developments of Lex Luthor's entire character in that Lex... Basically, he he views himself as being a scientific genius, and he somewhat got humiliated by Super by Superboy, right? And one of the things that the whole Lexor concept does is it kind of gives him a chance to regain his honor, his respectability, and his prestige as a scientist par excellence. He gets married, has a wife, all that stuff. But here's the thing. Even though the guy now has everything that on paper he says he's always wanted, he still can't let it go. He hates Superman that fucking much. It means that much to him to see Superman die that he would abandon Lexor, abandon his wife, possibly a family. I mean, who the hell knows, right? And... And basically, come what may. And I, you know, guys, that is fucking hatred. I mean, look, there have been times in life when I've really just not liked somebody. But I mean, fuck's sake, dude. That, that is hatred. So, anyway. As to Lex Lex Luthor, though, his uh, characterization, what I, Magnus, would always want to see is the Red Sun version of Lex, because to me, that's everything. That's the mad scientist Lex, that's corporate Lex, that's President Lex, everything, you know? And so I like that. And so that's that. Now, Prime, forgive me, your your email is really fucking long, so I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. Another foe would have to be Superboy Prime on the Pocket Dimension Earth. Not sure what his perfect Earth would be, but somehow have this feeling it won't be one Superman would want to be on. To be fair, I wanted to use it as a bit of a slap in the face of Smallville, but Magnus, you made me reconsider that idea, which I'm glad about. Oh, I'd probably have Superboy Prime wear Clark's black costume with the black coat and silver S-shield, but that's because Superboy Prime had had it for Countdown, the black... Superman armor and the, with silver S-shield look already. I mean, I gotta, I gotta have Superboy Prime and Superman look different as I'd have them go into an epic, no-holds-barred fight across the pocket Earth. Mountains smashed, fighting in, on, and above the planet, and lava flows to the Marianas Trench, to Smallville, and back again. The look of Superboy Prime would be to Superman, some kid trying, trying to think they can look cool but not sure how to stand on their own two feet with a costume. Of course, I'd want I'd want Superman to have his trunks as even now it just feels off. And yeah, it does. I'm still I don't think I'm ever going to get used to that. Though I would keep the red shirt uh sleeves of the DC new version on a more or less post-crisis Superman costume with the S shield reaching up to Clark's shoulders like the DC new Earth 2 Superman had before his being thought dead and becoming brutal. Not a villain, but how it'd work would be Red K and Blue K. I'd go with what Grant Morrison had them do in Action Comics. 
The red kryptonite doesn't give Superman these weird mutations and such, but alters his senses so he thinks they do. And the blue stuff attacks Superman's will and fighting spirit. And the usual green stuff does what it always does. I'm sure there'd be other villains as well, but no one else really planned. I'd go with a five-year timeline for this cartoon, as it would be five years since Superman or the Justice League had hit the scene and made, a su- and made superheroes a major thing, as the Justice Society and Marvel family had long since vanished or come, come apart. Sorry this email has left Why the Last Man behind, but it, isn't o- but it isn't because the series is boring or that your coverage of it was. I just wanted to get my DC Presents ideas out of my head and written down. And I figured you'd at least find them interesting, and I just wanted to get all those free-floating ideas out there. No, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, honestly, I like I like the idea of what you're going for, but it just it seems to me like the ambition for all of this it actually seems more in line with a really fucking epic TV show. You know, uh, it just seems like most uh, animation has to fit within a certain style, and the kind of stuff that you're talking about. It's it's just more than that. It's it's a lot more than that. And so, you know, and I'm not saying that, by the way, as a criticism. I mean, you know, I'm saying you've got a shitload of good ideas. You know, but it does kind of make me think, you know, I, at the time that I record this, the episode hasn't come out. But I did an episode with John M. Wilson where I basically talked about what my ultimate Superman is. And... In a weird kind of way, I don't want to count Smallville because, yeah, I do consider that definitive for me as far as, like, my favorite Superman story. But as far as, like, my favorite depiction of Superman, it actually comes from Batman the Brave and the Bold, that Battle of the Superheroes thing. And that's what I told uh, John Wilson in that episode we did together. And that basically, whether whether it's a, a cartoon show or comic books or a live-action TV show or a live-action movie or whatever... Superman in Battle of the Superheroes from The Brave and the Bold, that's what I want from Superman. You know, that's what I want Superman to be. And that's it. That's totally it, you know. And he even gets poisoned by red kryptonite at one point. And, you know, it doesn't make him evil. It just makes him kind of a pain in the ass. You know, he's just sort of a nuisance. He pisses everybody off. And, you know, I got to tell you, that works for me. You know, this... The, the whole aesthetic of that episode and, you know, their take on Lois and Jimmy and all that stuff, it just, it plays for me. And that's what I want to see from Superman. So, so that's that. And that is that, uh, as far as emails are concerned. Um, I've, that's all I have to talk about. Those were the two that, and they all, obviously they came through on the same day, or else I wouldn't have read them at the same time. Although, I guess Professor Allen's was kind of short, so that, I guess that's not too bad. But anyway, so that's pretty much that as far as feedback is concerned. Now, for those of you who are interested, you can send your feedback to me at trennismagnus at gmail.com. So if there's something that you want to you wanna write and have me read on the air, go for it. Or if you want to record uh, yourself talking and then have me you know, play that quote-unquote on the air, I can do that as well. Uh, as long as, just try to, I mean, don't make it too long, right? Just try to keep it shorter than like 15 or so minutes. So, you know, really not to exceed 15 minutes, and I think we should be fine. So, um, so whether it's a, a recording of your voice or you just want to write what you think, you can send your thoughts to trennismagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. 
and uh, I'll keep an eye out for that. I also always want more iTunes reviews, so if you could just follow some <clears throat> file some positive iTunes reviews, and I'd really appreciate that. Uh, because that's going to help me become more visible in iTunes, and that, that it just it, it helps me out quite a lot. Plus, those will get read on the read on the air too. Now, the only exception to things that uh, uh, to things being read on the air, everything will be unless it's an email that you send me that you say is not meant to be read on mic. It, you know, that's the thing. You must specifically say, "Don't read this on mic," or else I will assume that you want this to be part of the public discourse and I will read it on mic accordingly. So that's that. So other than that, I think that's pretty much it for me. So bye everybody and I'll see you next week. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at Two True Freaks Dot com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. Thank you.